Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin an exciting new series called Power in Weakness. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. In his book on suffering, author Tim Keller said, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together the good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it, end quote. That's a problem. You know, if you've drunk the secular Kool-Aid, then for you, meaning in life comes through personal satisfaction and happiness. Now, of course, that's because secular people believe that this life is all there is. For them, in their imagination, there is no day of judgment, there is no reward for the righteous, and there is no hope for an eternity with God. And and so, when suffering comes to a secular person, it destroys their meaning in life. Now, it's not just people without God that might feel this way, is it? It is that way for many of us who believe, simply because it's hard not to secretly agree with the secularists. Life meaning is obtained when I reach a level of personal satisfaction. At least that's how we think. And then, of course, we begin to suffer, for we all will suffer. And everything falls apart and our purpose in life fades. There is a form of pseudo-Christian teaching out there called the Word-Faith Movement that teaches the very same thing. I mean, these folks believe that if you learn to speak the Word in faith, you can have everything you say. So you can move the mountains of obstacles in your life, including the mountains of suffering from you. But in the end, that won't work either, for these people actually suffer like the rest of humanity. You know, Keller says that even with people who have the right view of suffering, that even in this, our personal suffering often hits us hard. Suffering, says Keller, affects us all in four very personal areas. First, suffering produces isolation. It it cuts us off from others. Second, suffering makes us self-absorbed, focusing solely on our own experience. Third, it's often accompanied by shame and, and feelings of condemnation. And then finally, fourth, it often produces an anger that burns so hot that we feel we can't control it. You know, the fact is the Bible promises us that we will suffer. And that brings us to the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, in this series, I, I will be covering the first seven chapters But all of the book could be put under a theme of suffering and of weakness and of pain and of the faulty idea that we often get from others that when we suffer, we've obviously failed. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. But we'll also talk about God's amazing power in human weakness. You know, perhaps 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 might easily be seen as the theme of this entire book. There Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boasting about weakness, boasting in our suffering, boasting even in our failures, boasting in our inability so that when something wonderful happens in our lives or through our lives or that our lives are filled with purpose, well, we might remember, (laughs) ah, yes, this didn't come from me. It came from the power of Christ. So that's the theme of the next four weeks as we will examine both weakness and power as we carefully examine 2 Corinthians chapters 1 to 7. 
But it's important to gain an understanding of this book and why it was written and the, and the sheer drama of pain and slander and misunderstanding and an accusation from bitter enemies. This book really does have a drama behind it so that if you miss the drama, you won't understand the book. So let's start with the author, the Apostle Paul. And what is important here, indeed, what is vital to understanding 2 Corinthians is that Paul is an apostle. And an apostle was someone who was sent directly by Jesus to establish the foundation for his church. The role of the apostles was unique and it cannot be repeated. See, there are no apostles today. But in John 14, 26, Jesus had promised his apostles that the Holy Spirit would remind them of everything that that he had personally taught them, as well as being able to apply the, the teachings of Jesus to the lives of believers. See, the apostles were infallible interpreters of everything that Jesus taught and did, and also the far-reaching implications of his teaching. They were to establish the foundation of truth upon which the church of Jesus would rest. And Paul was one of those unique apostles. Now then, in his first missionary journey, Paul had had established churches in Asia Minor, or what we now call Turkey. And he had worked to make the truth of Jesus plain to the church. And in his second missionary journey, he had crossed over into Europe. And then using our language, he spent most of that time in Greece. He started in the north in what was then called Macedonia, and then he traveled south to what was then called Achaia, and then he arrived in the city of Corinth, the largest city in Greece. In Acts 18, 1-17, it describes that adventure. He arrived in a city that was growing and prosperous. The year was either AD 49 or 50, and the city had been rebuilt by Julius Caesar, and when Paul arrived, it was about 80 years old. It was, by all accounts, the third most important city in the Roman Empire. It was the crossroads of Greece, and it was an economic miracle. The population, almost all, came from somewhere else. The city was filled with pagan temples, but there was more. The Isthmian Games were the second only to the Olympics. The city had a concert hall that held some 3,000 people. It also had an outdoor theater that held 18,000. And furthermore, the city was saturated with a sexually explicit culture. And amazingly, in this very city, it's where up to that point in his ministry, Paul saw the greatest success he had ever seen. After being thrown out of the Jewish synagogue in that city, he found a place to meet in a large house next to the synagogue. And for a year and a half, he taught the word of God and many came to faith in Christ. And furthermore, the Roman proconsul seems to have protected Paul from attack. It it was a marvelous time in his ministry. Then Paul moved to Ephesus, and then, during the last year of his three-year ministry in Ephesus, he wrote to the church in Corinth. It's the letter that we now call 1 Corinthians, and that letter was written because Paul had received word that a great many problems had developed in that church. You know, for one, the church was divided into four factions. One said they followed Paul and the others Apollos and then Peter and and even Jesus. And then the church had an openly incestuous relationship between one man and his stepmother. And no one thought it was a matter of church discipline. The Lord's Supper had degenerated into a drunken feast. And there was false teaching over the resurrection of the dead. And there were even lawsuits going on inside the church between believers. It, It was a mess. And so Paul had written 1 Corinthians to correct some of those abuses. After all, he was an apostle, 
pointed by Jesus himself to establish the foundation for the church. But, and here it gets really messy. 1 Corinthians, by all accounts, was not well received by the Corinthian church. Timothy, Paul's ministry assistant, had returned to Paul in Ephesus, and he had reported that the church was still in an upheaval. His letter, 1 Corinthians, had at least from some of them been openly rejected. Indeed, what Timothy had encountered was a growing false teaching, probably from the Judaizers. They were rejecting Paul's apostolic ministry, and they were favoring false teachers. And so Paul made a decision. He would go and visit the church in Corinth again. He was sure he could help them get back on track. Instead, something else happened. And he gives us a hint of that in 2 Corinthians. I mean, look at chapter 2 and verse 1 where Paul says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Ah, yeah, that, that second visit had been very painful. Well, how painful? Well, look ahead to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 2. I warned those who sinned before and to all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Oh, that sounds like it got really ugly in that second visit. I mean, what had happened? Well, for one, we will find as we read through 2 Corinthians that Paul's authority, even his apostleship, was called into question. And then there were those who pointed out that Paul's life, well, it was filled with suffering. I mean, if he were a man of God, they said, wouldn't God have protected him? And others said that Paul really sounds impressive in his letters and in his writing, but when you actually meet him, well, he's not impressive at all. He's a, he's a lousy preacher and he's even boring. And others suspected his motives. What was he doing collecting money for the poor? He's probably pocketing that. See, Paul was deeply hurt by his second visit. It remained in his mind as a painful thing. And then it seems as if Paul wrote the Corinthians another letter. I mean, one that has been lost. It must have been a very severe letter indeed, and it's stinging in its rebuke. He sent the letter through Titus. And so by now, the great successes of his early ministry had degenerated into accusation and charges and slander and rejection. How did it all come to this? Why so much suffering and why so many disappointments? One way we want to walk with you in your Bible study is to provide helpful tools and resources. This month, as our free gift, we'd like to send you a unique Back to the Bible Canada Bible Note Caddy. Some might think this is a bit old school, but this small journal comes with aids to help you take important notes, highlight important verses or sections of study, and it comes with a limited Back to the Bible Canada pen. These are limited in number, but if this is a tool you'll find helpful, request your free Bible Note Caddy today. And just a reminder, we're praying for you. And we're also blessed to know ministry friends from across the country are also praying for this ministry. What an encouragement. So call us today to request your free Bible Note Caddy or send in your gift to support the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca There is a story that comes to us from the Council of Nicaea. It was held in 325 AD. The bishops from all over the Christian church came together to discuss the matter of the true identity of Jesus and to solve the problem of false teaching that was plaguing the church at that time. 
So at that time, that is, at the Nicene Council, A.D. 325, of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or didn't limp on a leg, lamed by the torture for their Christian faith. They'd all been beaten up. See, I'm sorry, did, did you miss that? Wherever the gospel goes forward, there follows an enormous spiritual warfare. God's people will suffer, and it's very important not to glamorize suffering. It leaves the one suffering devastated by the harsh treatment of others. Paul himself called his meeting with the Christian church a a painful visit. It was painful to him. And so he speaks of his suffering in 2 Corinthians 6, 4-5. It says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Well, that might be one thing, but, but what happens when the persecution comes from within the church, from God's own people? What happens when God's church accuses the Apostle Paul of being a power monger and a bad preacher and, and openly charge him as being a pseudo-apostle, not the real thing at all? And what if after all that, so many were openly playing with false teaching? Well, Paul said, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. And so he did send the second severe letter, the one we don't have, through Titus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about that letter. So 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8 and 9 says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Titus came back and reported that in some fashion, God had worked a genuine revival in the church of Corinth. Repentance, turning to faith in Christ. But as you can imagine, things are never quite that neat, are they? There was still a a rebellious minority who, under the influence of the false teachers, continued to reject the apostolic ministry of Paul. We find that in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 13. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And so, as we can see, the fight was on, and Paul was under no illusions in that matter. The fight in Corinth was a fight for the one true faith. And furthermore, Paul also knew that this fight was going to take a considerable toll on him. In 2 Corinthians 11.28, he speaks about the daily pressure that he feels regarding his anxiety for all the churches, and no doubt, the church in Corinth was the leading cause of all such anxiety. So why are we studying the seven chapters rather than the entire book? Well, I say this because, as we can see, the entire book is all about Paul's weakness and Christ's strength. It's about suffering and and disappointment, even disappointment in Christians who have recognized false teaching and should not have slandered Paul as they did. It's a book about a man, Paul, who is hurt and tired and is coming to recognize the limits of his ability. See, the entire book tells the story of a suffering apostle who has known his share of pain. Uh, This book is a defense of Paul's apostleship. He defends his apostleship because Paul's apostleship is wrapped up in the message that Jesus himself gave Paul to preach. 
So since the entire book tells this story, why only cover seven chapters? Well, truth be told, it takes four weeks just to tell the story of the first seven chapters, and that's a simple reality. But also, as we seek to examine this important Bible book, we're going to find that it very easily breaks into three sections. The first chapters, the chapters we're going to study, are chapters meant to strengthen the faithful majority. And Paul will do that by focusing on his past track record. See, that track record is going to reveal a faithful servant of God who has suffered for the gospel. Then there's a second section. It's a short one. It's chapters 8 and 9. And here we'll find Paul calling the church to to complete a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. He wants the faithful to prove their repentance in this act of giving. Those who are truly repentant must show the authenticity of their faith. And then we come to chapters 10 to 13. And there Paul offers the rebellious ones more chance to repent. There he will make the future judgment quite plain. And in the end, every single man or woman is going to be judged. And we should not think that the suffering of godly people or the faithlessness of some in the present hour is the last word. Jesus will judge the earth. So in the present hour, Paul wants to make it very plain that everyone in Corinth needs to examine the authenticity of their faith to see if they are truly in the faith or if they're only deceiving themselves. You know, I remember the first time I ever studied 2 Corinthians. I I was taking a class on the book, and, and my prof began by saying that 2 Corinthians is an unusual book in the entire Bible. It's written, he said, by a man who was on the verge of an emotional collapse. You know, I've thought about that comment over the years. I think to put it that way is probably, well, it's, it's right, although it's not entirely right. See, I, I think the book is written by a man who's suffering at the hands of the ungodly, and then the abuse that he suffered at the hands of the church was, was more than he could bear. He found he was weaker and more vulnerable than he had ever expected. But that, of course, is not the end of the story. He was also a man who found that the power of Christ was greater than he had previously known. This truly is a book about power and weakness. That's why this is an important book for all of us. Yeah, it's, it's a book about apostolic authority, sure enough, and what it is that constitutes the true gospel of Jesus. You find plenty of that in this book. But it's a book about pain and raw emotions and disappointments. You don't have to be an apostle to identify with that. Who of us can't identify with these very emotions? You know, years ago I read a funny little saying. It simply said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Well, true. But that doesn't even tell half of it. The change in plans, the the sense of betrayal that we go through, the, the suffering that shouldn't have happened, at least not from our vantage point, You know, it's extinguished many a dream, and that might describe you. You might have experienced suffering just that way. Perhaps you felt you're the only one and that in suffering, God has shown you that he's not pleased in you. Well, listen up. Second Corinthians is written for you. You need to examine every word and learn to take it to heart. You need to remember that your Savior suffered on a cross, and the one who loves you knows what it is to suffer. And furthermore, his cross teaches us that suffering in this world is not a sign of a lack of faith, nor is it a sign that we've sinned. Of course, it might be that we have sinned, but for Christians who remain faithful to Jesus, among so many other things that suffering teaches us, well, we're going to find that we can learn to rely on his power and not on our own. And that is to say, suffering doesn't have to lead to despair. And if you're despairing because you're suffering today, there is a way out. 
it's possible to learn to rely on Christ's power. And if you're having problems believing that, then know this. The man who wrote 2 Corinthians wasn't writing a theoretical piece. This is written in the middle of suffering. It's written while the Apostle Paul is in great pain. Hear it from that vantage point and take hope. But above all, know that God has something to say to you in your suffering. He said it to you in the marvelous book called 2 Corinthians. Now, after all that, let's read the first two verses of the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that sounds like a very standard greeting, which Paul often has. But did you notice that in spite of all the criticism that he has received from this church, he still calls himself an apostle? That is, he never doubted Christ's call in his life. He's an apostle by the will of God, not because of the praise of men, and suffering had taught him that. And did you also notice how he greets the church? Saints who receive the grace and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul has never forgotten that the fractious church is still our Lord's church. You can remember those things too. God has a calling for you. God has not abandoned his church. Hold on to that. It's a place to start our study. John, thanks so much for your message today. It was a great one, but I got to tell you, as you enter into a book like 2 Corinthians, you think to yourself, you know what? Is Paul really, and maybe deservedly so, but is, is he a bit self-absorbed? Yeah, he does. He does talk about himself an awful lot. But I think we make a mistake when we think it's really just about Paul. There's something far more substantive at stake. See, the Corinthians were challenging Paul's apostolic authority. So, does Paul have the right to speak for Jesus? That's the question. Now, if they, the false teachers sideline Paul, then, well, then he doesn't have the right to speak for Jesus. And from our vantage point, if we don't believe that Paul is fully an apostle, we're not going to believe that we're actually reading sacred scripture. So, we need to hear Paul justify his apostolic authority. It is a key plank to believing in the inerrancy of the Bible. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our new series, Power in Weakness, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. I wanted to share with you how blessed and encouraged we are that God is continuing to use this ministry to impact the spiritual lives of so many through faithful Bible teaching. Recently, we received these words of encouragement. Thank you for the great role you play in the lives of Christians around the world. Shauna wrote, your work has enriched the lives of countless people. And finally, May God continue to grow his army and kingdom through your work. You know, we're so grateful. Your efforts, your support of Bible teaching makes this ministry possible nationally and globally. This month, would you please consider supporting the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada across the country? Your gifts make this ministry possible. To learn more or to support this Bible teaching ministry with a financial gift, Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.